things can change. I, I, when Jeff spoke of that in his uh, opening message for this year, things can change. It began to brew something within me. And, um, and, I, and I'd like to say that things can change against all odds. You know, sometimes you think, this has been going on too long. Uh, the odds are against me. And, and you're going, I don't really think things can change. The evidence is not there. I've, I've tried. I've, I've prayed. I've cried out. I've done all manner of things, but things aren't changing. Things can change. Is that right? Things can change. I, look, I'm not, I'm not wanting to whip you up into something you don't believe because I believe that by the end of this morning, you're going to have an imprint on your heart that says, with Christ, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a dream during uh, this last week. This is like, this is not the sermon. So this is a freebie for you. <clears throat> but it ties right in. And the dream was this. I neither measure your faith nor your righteousness. I neither measure your faith or your righteousness. I neither measure your faith or your righteousness. And that went over and over again until I woke up and said, okay, God, I've got that, but I don't really know what you're trying to tell me and why you're telling me this. But I know now. And it's because we sometimes sit here and think my faith is little and I'm not good enough. But God's saying to you today, I neither measure your faith or your righteousness. You, and for those who've, of you who like biblical support of such statements, here it is. Hebrews 12, 12. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If Jesus is the author of our faith, who put it there? Jesus, Jesus put the faith in us. We have all the faith that God has intended us to have. So I neither measure your faith because I actually know the measure of your faith. Yes, for certain, we at times and most certainly more than often have to exercise our faith, but you have enough faith. There are no people here with more faith than you. And in fact, if you sit here and think I have more faith than others, um, I'm sorry, you have the same amount of faith. Well, you don't have the same amount of faith necessarily, but you have the faith that God has given you. So, and, and Philippians 3.9, Paul says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but righteousness which is in, through faith in Christ. And get this, that comes from God on the basis of faith. So our righteousness is on the basis of faith, which is given by God, it's a gift. So the righteousness that we have is already established in Jesus Christ. We still need to work out our faith in fear and trembling. We still um, desire to surrender to Jesus and see him transform our lives. But if you're sitting there thinking you are not good enough, well, let me say 
that you need not boast in the righteousness that you think that you've built up in, your, in yourself because it is in Jesus that all of your righteousness exists. Okay, so as we go through our faith messages this month and you're sitting there and thinking, I'm not as good as Moses or I'm not as good as um, whoever else it is that might, we might be speaking about, a Gideon or whoever it might be, I'm not as good as them. That's not true. You have the same faith as they do. Let's move through. And uh, Adam last week, I don't know where Adam's, I don't think he's here, but uh, Adam last week spoke to us and, uh, and he touched on Hebrews 11, which uh, we know that in Hebrews 11, it's the great faith, um, the fa- great faith chapter. It talks about by faith, this person did this and that person did that. And, uh, and we get encouraged to see what people have done throughout history. Hebrews 11, 32 to 33, it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises and stopped the mouths of of lines, and no one can deny. No one can deny that um, that these people lived victorious lives in their circumstances. But have you ever wondered about the victorious life? We we say, oh, being in Jesus is the victorious life, and it is. But who knows that victory only comes as a result of something? Victory only comes as the result of trials, tribulations competition, um, challenges to our faith, all of those things must be present first before we can be victorious. Might I also say that we have victory over sin and death because of what Jesus has already achieved. So straight away, that's a gimme. That's the thing that sits right on your table in front. That's the beginning of your victory. That's the beginning of your victory. But all of those things actually come about and arise in our lives, and as a result of them, we either arise victoriously or we feel crushed by them, or we get defeated. And I'm not silly to think that sometimes we can't feel crushed or defeated. It can happen. Going on um, in uh, Hebrews, it says, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of a sword. Get this, these are the things that these people encountered along the way out of weakness were made strong, they became, they became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, women received the dead raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into were tempted, were destitute, were afflicted, were tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These accounts in the scripture of these people are not there to show that these people are better than you or experience something more significant than you're experiencing now or have experienced, but to point out that despite all of those things in their lives, they could arise victoriously. It's an example to us. You are them. 
They are you. They would never sit back then and think, I'm better than the people that will come after me because all those that follow after God will experience similar things to what we have. Amen. And it says at the end, 39, it says, and all these things, having obtained a good testimony through faith, and there's a little bit at the end I'm not going to share with you now, but I will share it because it's the punchline. I better share it now. Dale, if I don't share it, you say, hey, what about that? Verse 39. Um, I haven't got any verses up today, deliberately. I just, if you've got a Bible, grab a hold of your Bible and try and follow along with me if you can. I love uh, following along in the Bible uh, because I put lots of scratches and notes and bits and pieces along the way. And then down the track, when I'm reading through, I go, oh, yeah, that's what Pastor Jeff said back on the 11th of June 2019. And uh, so it's a really in interesting, uh, well, I would say it's an encouraging uh, and a great opportunity to hold on to what you've got and write notes if you wish as well. But grab your Bible if you can. Bible. Bible is not a book full of stories. Have you got that? It's not a book full of stories. Um, I first learnt about Gideon, I'm assuming in Sunday school or Scripture, and it was taught to me as a story. You know, I learnt lots of stories when I was little. You know, the three billy goats gruff and Goldilocks and the three bears. I like those three things. And, uh, and somehow along the way, I grabbed a hold of the story of Gideon and twined it as a story to be thought of as a story. But these are accounts of actual people and their encounters with the living God. They're there so that we might learn something and be encouraged and pursue our faith victoriously. Do you agree? I like it. Amen. Amen. Gideon. That's where we're going. We're going with Gideon. Probably picked up on that. Gideon's only mentioned in one other place in the Bible that I could see, and that was in Hebrews 11. It said, and of Gideon. That was it. And of Gideon. But here we go. Here's more about Gideon. You probably know about Gideon. You might have some predisposed thoughts about what he did and didn't do and how things came about, as I did. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Could I trouble somebody to get me a drink of water, please? I'm just uh, thirsty. Oh, thanks. While you're finding that, Judges 6, verses 1 to 10. Judges 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. <clears throat> it's a theme. It's a theme in, in the Old Testament. The, uh, the, the Israelites did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and then the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, we can, we can overread into that, and we can think, gee, we're glad we're not the Israelites. Aren't they stupid? They were shown um, what God is like and who he is and what he can achieve in people's lives, and they still then chose to do evil, what was in the eyes of the Lord. But we're not a lot different. We're not a lot different. <clears throat> and it says, so, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian, the Midianites, for seven years. This was a very significant and difficult time for the children of Israel. And um, it was, it, was a, it was a time of intense trials and tribulations. You know what? And if we, could, if we read that particular verse out of context, we might think that 
our trials and tribulations only arise when we've done naughty things, when we're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. But that's not true. That can be the case. Sometimes we can be so far out of step with God that he will give us into a time of trial and tribulation. And in fact, in, um, in 1 Peter 4.12, don't look at this, it says, uh, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as through some strange thing, as though some strange thing happened to you. Trials and tribulations come and we don't necessarily see the reason for it. And, um, and there's another scripture here, 1 Peter 6, uh, 1, 6 to 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our trials and tribulations produce our praises to Jesus. They produce the growth that we so desperately need. They cause us to draw close to God. And we see here from verse 1 in Judges chapter 6 that the children of Israel drew away from God and did their own thing. And in fact, what they did was they worshipped the Baals and sacrificed on altars that weren't to God, despite the fact that they knew that that wasn't what they should be doing. Verse 2, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in enormous numbers, numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel, now this is important, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. I'm assuming, my assumption is they didn't cry out to the Lord until around seven years. So it took them seven years of trials and tribulations to holistically come to the conclusion that they needed to cry out to God for help. Doesn't say otherwise. It's the beginning of the breakthrough. When we cry out to God, in our times of distress. It's the beginning of the breakthrough, and it was for them also. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them all out before you, and gave you their land. I also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So this is one of those instances where there was a realisation through the voice of God as to why the Israelites were suffering the trials and tribulations 
that they were experiencing. That may not necessarily ever come to you. You might go through a time of trial and tribulation and at the end of it, you will have an understanding of what you went through and how God delivered you, but you're not quite exactly sure why it happened. But for these guys, we've got an answer. Seven years. Did you know, for seven years, I, when I was preparing this message, I, I'm, I'm going to stick on time today as best I can, so I may not get through this whole story, but I want to get to a main point. Um, I realised that through the preparation of this message, from 2015 to 2022, Marilyn and I underwent um, a massive series of trials and tribulations, of which I won't get into. But they really crushed us to, to a great degree, um, that they were very intense and, and powerful and, and I don't need to go any further. They were, hard, they were a hard time. Um, gladly through that time and before then, I had a habit of reading this. And, um, and during that time, 15 to 22, I continued to read my Bible, but God began to speak to me through the Word. So I didn't have to wait seven years to hear that God was going to deliver me. I just had to believe that he was going to do it. And, uh, and you know, where there were times in that seven years where I went, phew, it's over, only to then think, hang on, it's back. And, oh, it's over, it's back. And, uh, and look, I'm really, really thankful. And can I implore you for, with, with any message today is that this thing here is is food for your soul. This thing here, what is written in here, God will be able to speak through unequivocally uh, into your lives and circumstances so that you will know in no two minds that he is in control and he's going to sort that stuff out. And you know what? Um, in, uh, in, in October, November of 2021, Pastor Jeff came to me. Now, I was, I was really at the pointy end of this battle and it was hard and I felt very, very crushed. And uh, Pastor Jeff came to me and Pastor Roe came to me and said, will you lead the worship team? It was the last thing I felt like doing. But I also know that God wanted me to do that. So I stepped out before, before deliverance, before the thing was over, I stepped out and did it. And I'm thankful that I did. Can I just, just encourage you that sometimes we just need to step out a little bit more, take what God is calling us to do and move forward even if we're still in the battle. God's just going to give you the strength. He, look, Lord God, I pray that you don't give me any more trials and tribulations uh, because uh, it hurt, it hurt, um, but uh, I think I'm prepared. I think, I think I'm prepared. I thought I was prepared before. <laughs> I, I think I'm prepared. Verse 11, Judges 6. Now the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon. Before I go any further, let's just not sweep over this. Let's just. The angel of the Lord came along under a tree. The angel of the Lord came and sat under a tree. The angel of the Lord sat under a tree because the people cried out to God. And God had a plan. And he took it forward. Let's not get past that. The angel is waiting. He's waiting to sit under your tree. Metaphorically. 
while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. <laughs> There's another thing. Let's not sweep over this either. You don't thresh wheat in a winepress. Okay, a winepress, picture this, is a, a, a small um, uh, cylindrical shape hole hewn out of a rock in which um, people would throw grapes and a couple of people could stand in there and crush the grapes and make wine. Threshing wheat, you do out in the open so that the wind comes along and blows away the rubbish and you're left with the grain. But Gideon... And his people, his family, all of Israel was so impressed, oppressed, um, so impoverished, so frightened that they did things that weren't natural. They did things in fear. And Gideon thought, even the small amount of wheat I can get from this, I'm going to do it down in the hole. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? <laughs> I wonder about you, seven years, seven years. You know, we're a church full of smiling people and I believe that the smiles are genuine because I think when we come and we meet with each other in the name of Jesus, something happens in our spirits. That's why we come. We come to be encouraged and spurred on and hear the word of God and loved and genuinely loved. But I'm guessing that amongst you, um, there are some who have experienced seven years of difficulty, metaphorically. Uh, it might be a relationship breakdown, it might be financial distress, it might be illness, it might be disappointment in the church. It could be any of those things and they're eating away at you and they're stealing your joy and they're taking you to a place where God doesn't want you to be. He doesn't want you in the wine press, press threshing wheat. He'll send, he sent Jesus, not an angel, he sent Jesus to sit under your tree and help you. And in fact, can I say that God has been in your wine press all along? He's been right there. You might have felt alone, but God is there. Jesus is with you. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So, Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. I don't, want to, I don't want to sweep over the angel of the Lord. These are all in capital letters. Something, there's a hint, there's a clue in this. And uh, I'll get you to work that out later. But it all sort of blends into the Lord being there. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor who's sitting in a winepress, threshing wheat. But anyway, um, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. This is an okay conversation. This is an okay conversation. This is okay because this is the commencement of a discourse after seven years where there was pretty much some silence going on, not, not, from, not from the, the wanting of God to want to converse with these people but from the fact that the people would, had stepped away from him. So he was willing to hear them on this. He's willing to hear you. You go, God, you're almighty and powerful. Why have I got cancer? Why did my friend die? 
Why has my husband left me? Why do I feel so downcast in my spirit? Why do I have this mental illness? It's okay to have these conversations with God. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, this is very important as well, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Okay, this is where I was challenged. I used to think that that God would speak to Gideon and say, O mighty man of valor, because he was speaking into Gideon's um, future that hadn't pre-existed, that wasn't there. This was something that that, um, God was going to manifest in this person because he never had it to begin with. And he was like tickling his ears to some degree. But Gideon was reminded by God that he actually already had a strength that was probably quite prominent and he possessed seven years before. And he said, go in this strength of yours. Yours. Did you know that you have a strength, a um, a God-ordained strength in you that maybe you have tapped into along the way? Maybe you have. Maybe it was present when you first gave your life to Jesus and you were invigorated and enthused and then the trials and tribulations came and started to crush you down and cause you to be ineffective. But can I just say that, or you might never actually have realised you're a strong person inside. Go in this strength of yours. That's what God's saying to you. You have a strength. Have I not sent you? I will never leave you nor forsake you, God says. And goes on. Then he said to him, this is Gideon speaking to God, if I, if now I have found favour in your sight, show me a sign that is, it is you who talks to me. Did you know what? If you're in constant, regular commune with God, you usually know that it's him speaking to you. I suspect that this question arose a little out of doubt and a little out of the fact that Gideon wasn't necessarily in constant commune with God. You know, when I had that dream the other night, I just knew that was God. I just knew that was God because I don't usually dream that stuff. And, uh, and, it, co- and it pointed me to the Bible. It pointed me to the Bible and it was confirmed and affirmed by the Word of God. If you're in this prayer, worship, fellowship, in this you're going to understand and know God is speaking to you. I'm not having a go at Gideon. It's hot in here, isn't it? Hmm. So, verse 18, Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And, uh, and he said, God said to Gideon, I'll wait. I've got time. I'll wait. And what happened is Gideon went off and got his offering and brought it back. And the angel of the Lord, capitals, was there and he instructed him to assemble it and the angel touched it with his staff and a fire arose up out of a rock and burnt up the offering. Well, that'd do it for me. That'd do it for me. Sometimes we, need, we find ourselves in a place where we need to affirm the presence of God in our life. We need to understand that God is working in and through us. It's okay to ask him, and he will meet you in your place. It might not be by a fire rising up out of a rock, but he will meet you in your place because he desires to be in communion with you. 
and he wanted that for Gideon. Now Gideon, verse 22, perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. 23, then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the place the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abyssalites. This was the beginning of Gideon's comeback. This is... This is, this is all process for Gideon and it's teaching us something that if you found yourself in seven years of difficulty or a year of difficulty or whatever it might be, the first step is to call out to God and then he will start things in motion so that you're, you become aware again of his great love for you. So, and on, I won't read the scripture, but it was, he was back listening to God uh, Gideon tears down his father's altars to Baal. This is a big thing. This is what all the Israelites people were doing. They were worshipping Baal. Tore down the altars and the wooden image beside it and builds an altar to God and burns his father's um, uh, beast, seven years old beast. Not, not, uh, not a coincidence. Seven years of tribu- uh, tribulation, seven-year-old beast burnt and offered to God as a sacrifice. In the meantime, the Midianites and the Amalekites came and encamped against Israel. And it doesn't say this, but as they were in the habit of doing. But you know, what they, would, what they had done in the past is they'd come and encamp and all the Israelites would hide and they would scurry away in their dens and caves and, and, uh, and things were difficult, but something has changed now. The people realise that God is on their side and wants to contend for them. And then this time, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Scripture tells us, filled with the Holy Spirit, Gideon picks up a trumpet and blows it and calls, calls God's people to stand behind him and they stood up and they did. So you'd reckon by now Gideon's got his, his strength back and, and he's able to, uh, he's able to um, fight the fight and know that God is on his side, but still... Gideon's a little bit in trepidation. And it goes on in, in verse 38, 6, I should say. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I've put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground overnight, then I shall know that you are God and that you have saved Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it, so it was. He rose the next morning. And squeezed the fleece out um, and water came out of it and uh, into a bowl, but the ground was dry around it. And then Gideon went, oh, just try that once more, please, God. Um, Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but let the ground around it be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on the ground. I used to think about that. I used to think, what is Gideon on about? He's testing God. And, you know, of course God is God. But you know what? I think that this scripture is telling us that it's okay to have conversations with God. It's okay. God wants us in conversations with him about stuff that is going on in our lives. And even if we're finding ourselves a little bit in, in, in uh, not being able to exercise the faith that we have, then God is there to build us back into that place of exhibiting our faith. 
Yeah? Is that it? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, even in our time of trial and when, and we, when we're getting towards the end, and after, in fact, even after the end, I still had times of fear out of the stuff that happened in that. And uh, certain things would happen in my environment uh, that would rise a pang of fear in me. Oh, no, it's going to happen again. I don't know whether that's been your experience, that you've been through difficulty, perhaps you've had a battle of can with cancer and you're going back for that bi-yearly test and, and there's a small pang of fear that it's going to come back. Um, that's us. We just have a little bit of fear in us. We, we, just, need, we just need God. We need Jesus. Uh, people say Christianity is just a crutch. Oh, heck yes, it is, not just a crutch, but it is a crutch that I lean on very, very heavily and unashamedly so, and so should you. Anyway, I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm running out of time, but, um, but we know that uh, Gideon went on, and I'm hoping you know, and if you don't, read through Judges 6. It's a great account, historical account of what happened to Gideon uh, in this time. And he said he had an army of 32,000 fighting men. God said, that's too many. Um, if you take that many, then you won't really realise that I'm helping you. Um, so he said, uh, um, okay, what I want you to do is just tell anybody that's frightened to go home. Um, and, of course, some people went home, left him with 10,000, 32,000 to 10,000. And God says, that's actually too many as well. And um, just remember that the Midianites and the Amalekites were as many as locusts. There's a lot. So too many. So Gideon's going with this. He's fine with this. So um, uh, God then said, uh, there's too many. What I'm going to get you to do is get all the people to go down to the water and have some water and drink that, and, um, and I will divide them up for you. So he said, those people that get down on their knee and look around and scoop some water out of the, the, the river and drink from the, with their hand, put them over there. And those that get down and lap like a dog, stick them over there. All the dog lappers um, went over there and there were 300 hand lappers left. And God said, that's a good number. Now, I don't know, I just think, I, I'm surprised Gideon didn't say, well, God, well, if you really are for us. No, God, Gideon was right. He was cool with this and he went forward with the 300. Might I say he still had a little bit of fear. Still a little bit of fear because um, on the night that uh, the, the, the victory came, uh, God said, look, in order for you to know that, uh, that I'm with you, uh, go down to the camp's edge of the enemy and look and see and you'll see something. But if you're frightened, take your friend Führer. Doesn't say Gideon was frightened, but he did take Führer. So they went down and, uh, and then they saw, this, uh, they saw these guys and they were talking around a campfire and said, I had this crazy dream and it was about um, this loaf of bread rolling into the camp and knocking over the tent. And the other guy went, you know what I think that means? You know what I know that means? That means that Gideon, he's going to come with all these people and he's going to defeat us. And Gideon went, wow, this is a sign from God. I am going to win. So he went back to the people got the people, gave them some trumpets, some lamps. They went back down, made a lot of noise. Everybody ran around and ran away and there was victory. There was victory. You know what? There was victory. This is, this is it. This is where we're getting. There's victory at hand. Victory only arises out of times of trials and tribulations, times of testing of your faith, but victory will come in Jesus Christ. 
you will have victory. Anything that you have endured is not uncommon to men, to people, to human beings. Everyone has encountered these things, Christians and non-Christians. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is that non-Christians don't have Jesus on their side to help them through in the victory. I have friends who, uh, who don't yet love Jesus. We pray for them every day almost. And, uh, and I see them, you know, just last year, um, she lost her uncle, her mother and her brother in one year. Oh, I don't know how she does that without Jesus. But we speak it into her life anyway. Victory is at hand. I know what you're going to say. Let's go all the way back to Hebrews 11.39. And it says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith. Laura, could I get you up onto the keys, please? Actually, I might get all the musos to come up. Thanks. Let's go back to that. This is really important. And all these, that's all these uh, victors, having obtained a good testimony of faith through faith, did not receive the promise. What's the promise? The promise is Jesus Christ who will come, the Messiah, he will come, he will redeem the people, he will be with the people, it's God with us, Emmanuel, they did not receive the promise. Now if all of these guys and women were able to um, encounter trials and tribulations and battles, then without the promise, without knowing and having it realised in their lives, how much more can we fight the battles and trials and tribulations in our life? We can do this. We can do this in the strength that we have empowered by Jesus Christ in our lives. You know what? The great role for call of the faith-filled Hebrews um, in 39 ends with that. They didn't have the promise. That promise is Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, dwells within us. You know, if you've had seven years of trials and tribulations or whatever it might be, um, today is the day that things can turn around through the realisation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Is that right? Is that right? Gideon lived through seven years with diminishing realisation of God. You know what? But we live with the promise that Jesus, by the power of His Spirit, reminds us every day that God is with us. You know what? And um, with Gideon, Gideon had to wait till the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tree. We don't have to do that because we live with the fact that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is with us in the wine press. Is that right? That's it. That's it. And this, it says, God found himself, uh, Gideon found himself cowering in that wine press. But we, by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we have the assurance of his presence in our life through our trials and tribulations. This is it. This is the story of Gideon. This points us to this day. They did it without the promise in Hebrews. We're doing it with the promise the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives.